Good morning. Happy New Year, everyone. So I'm delighted to be sharing this sermon with you this morning. And I think it's a very timely message. We're at the beginning of a new year that has some of the same concerns and worries of the previous two. How far will we get through the Greek alphabet before the coronavirus ends? Will there be another variant? How many more jabs do we need? Will there be another lockdown? And for some of us, it might be, will we be able to gather around people safely again? Well, today... We're going to be reading from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12, and we're going to be exploring how we follow the light. We're going to be exploring how we find strength to follow the light in such uncertain times, as Phil was just saying. And what do we do once we've followed the light to the destination? What do we do when we get there? Well, in Matthew 2, the first 12 verses, we see three keys to help us with that. Following rejoicing and treasuring. Can everyone say that with me? Following, rejoicing, and treasuring. So if you have your Bibles, just because I love the the sound of page rustling, if you could turn to Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12 with me, and we'll get reading. It will also be up on the screen. (laughs) Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd his people, uh, shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their country by another way. I want to paint a picture for us this morning. I want to paint a picture of the time and events that surrounded Jesus' birth. We find ourselves in Israel, about 8 to 6 BC. And we find Israel in a bit of an unusual position. These are God's chosen people, God's children, carriers of the covenant of God. Yet, a theme that we see through the whole of the Old Testament is now reaching its climax. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, humanity has had a propensity to choose sin over choosing God and his goodness. 
And in the book of Judges, we see a cycle start to play out. Sin, slavery, savior, deliverance. They enter the promised land God had given them, but fall into sin. They subject themselves to foreign rulers, and they did what was right in their own eyes, instead of following God's standards. From the book of Judges onwards, we see that cycle repeat itself through Israel's history, leading to oppression from nations, a divided kingdom, and eventually exile in Assyria and Babylon for the respective divided nation. But fast forward some 1,000 years, and we're faced with a daunting issue in Israel. You see, between the last prophet of the Old Testament and where we are in Matthew right now, it's roughly 400 years. That's 400 years of no one calling Israel to repentance. No one calling Israel to reformation. There's no repentance in Israel for 400 years And most importantly, there was no one crying out for God for 400 years. Where has this left them? Well, in this 400 years, they've been trapped in their promised land. Captives in their own home. First to the Hellenists that came and invaded Israel. And then later to the Romans, who we see in charge now. (laughs) They are no longer led by God but rather by foreign and pagan nations. Their king, Herod the Great, isn't even supposed to be their king. He's not from the line of David. He wasn't Hebrew. He was Edomian or an Edomite. He wasn't royal. He wasn't Hebrew and certainly not the true king. But life seemed pretty normal for Israel. They were able to go and offer sacrifices at the temple. They were able to go and trade freely. But if a Roman soldier asked them to carry his armor for a mile, they would have to do it. But that's a small price to pay for the freedoms they did have. For some of us, the past two years have felt like we're captive in our own home. And for some of us, we've been jumping with joy at the slightest of freedoms returned to us. Yay, no masks. Oh, no masks again. And that's caused us to lose hope, you know. A hope that we'll ever see a finish to this thing. And for some of us, it's just caused us to accept that this is just the best it's going to get. Nothing's going to change. We've just got to live with it. And that lack of hope... A lack of joy is the very atmosphere in 8 to 6 BC that the birth of Jesus occurred. But while Israel was busy just trying to live their life, a group of star watchers or wise men or magi, depending on your translation of the Bible, were just looking at stars. They looked at stars because they determined the times by a lunar calendar. And according to Craig Keener, a New Testament historian, things like shooting stars would represent the falling and rising of kings through war or other things. But this one day, they see this star that they'd never seen before. It was different. And somehow they knew that it was the sign of the birth of the king of the Jews. How they knew it was that, I don't know. But I think the point is that God chose to reveal himself to a group of magi who weren't Hebrew, 
who weren't Jewish and most probably didn't worship Yahweh. I think it's a bit of an indictment on the state of Israel at the time that the first two people or people groups to hear about the birth of the Messiah were not Hebrew. He, uh, Herod and Magi, and the Magi. And both these characters have a key role to play in our understanding of this passage. Herod is representative of human effort or human willpower or, as the Bible might explain it, as works-based salvation, being good enough. And the Magi are representative of following God's call, seeing the sign God has given them to follow and following it. Or, as Ephesians says, salvation by grace through faith. (laughs) The Magi start with this beautiful question, though, in verse 2. If we could just get it up on the screen. Where is he who's born king of the Jews? It's a great question. Remember, these are the people that God has chosen to reveal the birth of his son to. And these people are excited by it. They're intending to follow it all the way. However, they find themselves at the palace. It's the most obvious place for a king to be born, right? A palace, a baby that's royal, who's supposed to be king. Let's just go to the palace. He's going to be there. But the king they seek wasn't born in a palace. Instead, what they find is this paranoid, scared pseudo-king, a king who didn't deserve the throne. A a king that was worried that when the true king came, that prophesied king of the Old Testament would come, that he would be dethroned. In fact, there's historical evidence for Herod actually killing family members out of fear that they would usurp his throne. So he clung to every ounce of that throne he could. Do you remember what I said Herod represented? Human effort. And here's the thing. If we try and get somewhere God hasn't called us to, God's not going to keep us there. Instead, if we go along with it, what God hasn't called us to, we're going to find that we might be a Herod or we'll just find other Herods who are bent on destruction. But what led these magi to the palace in the first place? Because clearly, later on in the passage, we see that the star arrives in Bethlehem above where Jesus was born. I think they took their eyes off the star. They took their eyes off the very call and very sign that God had given them to follow. And once they lost sight of that star, they had to go with what was most obvious and most logical. And that's not to say the Christian faith isn't logical. I love that it is a logical faith. But sometimes we can just lean too far on our own understanding. It's like muscle memory. We can just go, oh yeah, God did this last time in this season, so he's going to do it like that again. But hey, how do we follow the light? I raised three questions at the beginning, remember? How do we follow the light? How do we find strength to to follow the light in uncertain times? And what do we do when we get there? Well, here are three keys. The first key to following the light is... Following. And the key to following the light is to follow it. It's obvious and logical. But we see the star, we see the light, we see the sign that God's given us, and we follow it to the right place, not taking our eyes off it. You see, if the Magi had just kept their eyes on that light, on that star, they would have turned up to Jesus way before they did. But taking their eyes off that light for a second 
led them to the wrong king. Last month, I turned 29. I'm 30. I'm 30 this year, in December. But I turned 29. And the day before my birthday, I sat and just kind of thought, what do I think my 20s would look like as a teenager? And how has it actually turned out? I wanted to be married and have my first kid by the age of 20. I wanted, to, I wanted to own a recording studio. I wanted my band to go on more tours. I wanted us to release more albums. I wanted us to... In fact, you know what? Outside of music, I was, wasn't very ambitious. But if I'd gone along with my plan, then I probably would not be here today. You see, in 2000, uh, 2013, September 16th, I decided that I wanted to end my life. I was addicted to pornography. I was a horrible person. I, I hated my job. I hated my life. And I just wanted it gone. There was no ambition, no hope for me. And as I was on the way back home from work to where my girlfriend lived, I was, I was fully intending on breaking up with her that day. So she was out of the way. So if I did anything, she wouldn't care. And as I was sitting there kind of plucking up the courage to tell her that I, I didn't want to see her anymore, this presence sat next to me and whispered in my ear, tell her. And in my heart, I was instantly convicted. I knew exactly what I needed to say. And in my heart, I responded, I can't, it will break her, which the irony was I was intending to break her, so she didn't care about me anymore. But I actually cared. And again, this voice said to me, even softer and even more gently, tell her, trust me. And instantly, as I told her everything I'd done, Depression left me. I was no longer addicted to pornography. I was much more happy and joyful. I'm much more the person you see now. You see, that encounter with Jesus changed my life, and the trajectory of my 20s changed at that very moment. And now I look back at my 20s, and I look at what I have achieved, and I'm blown away. I've visited more countries than I could ever imagine. I'm, I'm married to an amazing wife, and we have an incredible daughter. But it's all because of the grace of God. And I never thought I'd even be working in a church. But here I am, and in an amazing church, who I love all of you. But at every step, I've had to learn the call of God, and I don't always get it right. And I don't think anyone does. But when we do, when we do get it right, when we hear it, when we see the light and we follow it, it leads us to the presence of Jesus, that sweetest place. You see, before September 16th, 2013, I was Herod. And I met other Herods. I was just trying to do everything myself, try and be worthy enough, good enough. Every little bit of success that I had, I clung to it as if it was the most important thing. And do you know what it just became? An idol. And what I found out is that I just needed Jesus. I found out that all of my effort, all of my works, cannot compare to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the work of Jesus Christ in our lives right now. You see, following the light isn't always easy. 
but it's the call of the Christian to follow Jesus. And the good news is, is when we become Christian, he gives us the Holy Spirit, who continually leads us into the presence of Jesus, regardless of wrong turns, regardless of mistakes, regardless of how many Herods we meet along the way. The first step to doing anything is to do it. The first step to following the light is just do it. Follow it. God has provided the means, so let's follow. My second point comes from verse 10. Can we get that up on the screen? Because I love this verse. My second point is rejoicing. It says, when they saw the, the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. That would have been enough, right? But it's with great joy. <laughs> So the Magi saw the star again upon leaving Herod's palace, and they didn't just like kick themselves and say, oh, silly me, I'm, Jim Bob, palace man, what's that? No, they didn't beat each other up. They didn't just get down. They rejoiced. And Phil rightly said in that passage from Psalm 100 about rejoicing. So how do we find the strength to follow the, to follow the light and to follow the star that God has shown us? We rejoice. Many times I've been led somewhere in my short 29 years so far that's just been disappointed. Uh, whether it was a job interview I didn't get, even though I was the best candidate, and I'm totally not still bitter about it. Um, <laughs> or whether it was... Uh, doing a course to become an IT contractor under this umbrella company where they actually just treated us really bad. Or whether it was the countless relationships and parties and things that really weren't helpful for me that seemed great at the time but were just plain disappointing. You know, a lot of disappointment can leave one feeling depressed or lacking happiness and sometimes we can find it stealing our joy. But all of these examples, by the way, that I just gave were before I was a Christian. So let me give you one of after I got saved. In 2018, my wife almost passed away. She was in a coma for, I forget the time frame, but it felt like forever. Um, Everyone that was praying for her that was in the medical profession looked at her numbers and said she should be dead. But, and we were stuck in Guernsey for, what was it, like two months couldn't get home. I was in a hotel, which sounds nice, (laughs) being in a nice hotel, but it's not nice at all. I was scared. I was panicked. I was confused. But do you know what? Never once did I lose my joy. Why? Because I kept my eyes fixed on Jesus. God had spoken words over my wife's life. He'd spoken words over my life that actually contained Diana in them. And, and so I knew she wasn't going to die because actually God had promised she wasn't. God still had a purpose. You see, in, in Jesus, our, our joy is not easily stolen. Our happiness might be, we might feel depressed, but our joy is not easily stolen. No matter the problem or the hardship. Because joy is not temporal. Joy is not an emotion that goes up and down. Joy is based in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
It's eternal. If you're not feeling happy today, or you're feeling down, you're feeling depressed, I, I, I know how you feel, and that's hard. But don't let it steal your joy. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Yield to Jesus. Just follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and you will always end up in the presence of Jesus. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, In his presence is fullness of joy. So how do we find strength to follow the light? We rejoice. Everyone say it. Come on, rejoice. We all rejoice nice and loud. Finally, our third point comes from the next verse, verse 11. What do we do when we get to where God is leading us? We treasure. This is one of those passages that you read like 300, 300 odd times, and then 301st time there's something that just sticks out to you. And this is one of them. In verse 11, it tells us that then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. And that word treasures just jumped off the page. You know, the Greek word there is uh, thesauros, which means treasures or treasure box or stored wealth. You see, they worshiped Jesus from the best of their stored treasure. They didn't just turn up on a Sunday and give a half-baked expression of, of, of their love for God. and They, they didn't just bemoan the fact that they, they met Herod before meeting Jesus. No. It was from their stored-up treasures that they worshipped him. These magi have been trekking for ages. Their feet probably stunk. Their clothes probably stunk. But in finding the answer to their question in verse 2, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? In finding that child, it demanded extravagant worship. Pretty much all of you uh, here know my daughter. She was born just before the first lockdown in 2020. Literally just before. And I remember the excitement of nine months of waiting for her to be born. The excitement, the joy that was bubbling up. And the day she was born, she was born C-section. I remember her first little cry as she came out. I remember cutting the uh, umbilical cord. But oh, this girl had done nothing to deserve this love from me, but she demanded it. It was this pent-up, built-up, stored-up love and excitement that I had for her over nine months of pregnancy. My wife, my wife did the hard work. I, I just did the, the easy work of getting excited. <laughs> but I knew she was my daughter. She, she was just my joy, my excitement, just that nine months. And you know what? Even now, my love isn't a surplus for her. Because I'm constantly excited about my, my daughter, seeing her in the morning, waking up. She truly is my treasure. I think any father would say that about their daughter. But she is. But my love for my children are stored up always to give to them at any time. This year has been hard in many ways for many of us. But believe it or not, God is still working. There are things this church has been praying for for decades that we're only just starting to see the first fruits of. (laughs) 
If our worship is affected on the negatives, the meeting Herod before meeting Jesus, then our worship will never be extravagant. But if our worship is based on the joy of Jesus Christ, the joy of our salvation, then it's always, always going to be in surplus and stored up ready to give to God at any time. So following the light isn't always easy. But the first step to following is following. God has provided the means for us to come to him. In the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. To offer us salvation, forgiveness of, and freedom from sin. And ultimately to give us eternal life with him. And as we see Jesus' light, we rejoice. We receive God's spirit who continually leads us to the presence of Jesus. And finally, when we're there, we worship him. Knowing what we've been saved from and saved to. It should cause us to love God more. And our worship flows out of there. That stored up treasure box of worship. So maybe you're here today and you've never heard this message from Matthew 2 preached like this before. Maybe you just thought it was another nice Christmas story that didn't really have too much implications for our life. Or maybe you're here and the past two years have just felt like a boat ride in violent seas where you've just been beaten about and you're that close to falling off the edge and not even sure if this Jesus stuff is for you anymore. Well, God has given us the light to follow and that light is Jesus Christ. And to follow Jesus, we must turn away from those, that darkness, the bad things we've done or sin. And we must turn to him. We ask for God's forgiveness. We place our trust and our life in him. And we also invite him into our life. And we yield and join ourselves to him. And we're going to pray this morning and we're, we're going to do some commitment prayer and, and recommitment prayer. But we're going to start 2022 right. We're going to follow the light. Let's stand together. And can I ask uh, Becca and the band to join? Yeah. Thank you, Nathan. What a wonderful word. Bless you. Yeah. And uh, just as we stand together, let's together make that commitment. I, I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. Um, and God knows our hearts. He knows the journey we've been on. He knows uh, the good and the challenges and the difficulties and the storms that we face. 
but he loves us just the same. And there is an opportunity for us to say, January the 2nd, this year, Jesus, we are going to follow the light, which is you. And this year, Jesus, your light is going to shine in us and through us so that those around us will see who you are and see your love for them. So let's pray that. And uh, maybe uh, echo these words as I pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world. Thank you that you are the light of the world. You came to us as light and life. And you have offered eternal life for us. And for all who believe in you. Jesus, I believe in you. As Lord and Savior. And so today. I commit my life afresh to you. I choose to follow you Jesus the light. I choose to rejoice in you. As you bring me into your presence. And from the deep depths of treasure that's within my heart. I choose to worship you with all that I am. Come and shine in my life that I might be light for you and for your glory. Amen.